Hi, I'm Kristen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And to anyone who's liked or shared or subscribed to the podcast, I'm blown away by the support. So thank you again. And please subscribe or review it if you feel like it. So on this episode, we'll figure out what Barbie and Ken can teach us about the divine feminine and masculine. And I'm so excited to talk about spirituality through the Barbie movie. What a dream. And get into the clever storytelling devices and symbolism that we see play out on screen. I also really love this as an opportunity to explore this spiritual concept of the divine feminine, the divine masculine, as it relates to the movie, but our lives as well. So this will be a little bit of a mix of astrology, mythology, psychology, and tarot. So buckle up, baby. It's a bumpy ride. And if you haven't seen the movie, that's okay. There are no spoilers here, just synopses. So if you want zero plot details, feel free to return to this episode later. Also, it may be no mistake or maybe was even a subconscious choice that Barbie's dream house is set in Venice Beach. And Venice being a tribute to the goddess Venus in Roman mythology, Aphrodite in Greek mythology, and they're the most feminine goddesses of them all. Ooh, it all connects in our funny little world. (laughs) So we'll cover the underlying themes of the movie, the idea of the divine feminine, the divine masculine, what these dolls and stories represent in our society, and learn more about this spiritual yet very human concept that's as old as time. So I'm pretty sure we all know what a Barbie doll is, and Ken's her boyfriend. So to make a long story short, Barbie meets Ken in 1961, and their relationship and friend group evolves over time. My personal favorite Barbie incarnation was the 1987 animated series Barbie and the Rockers Out of This World, where Barbie and her friends perform rock and roll in outer space, and now my life makes sense. I wanna be clear when I'm talking about divine masculine or divine feminine energy, I'm not talking about gender identity. It's the idea that these seemingly contradictory energetic forces can and do coexist within all of us. So figuring out the limits of duality and gender roles is nothing new, but somewhere along the line, it seems we lost the plot and things have gotten a little out of whack. So what's become a political or religious hot take in our society is actually a concept rooted in something far different from the idea of controlling one another. So we can think of this as yin and yang energy, yin being receptive and feminine, and yang being active, masculine. It's a concept that we see across cultures, around the world, and throughout time. To get a little hippy-dippy, the integration of this divine masculine and feminine energy in its purest form yields spiritual gifts, from balance to transcendence beyond the binary, and launches us on our journey to enlightenment through a unified consciousness, or you may call it oneness. There's a quote that I really love from Teddy Roosevelt, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. I love this reminder so much to not get carried away with spirituality or the details of our material reality. Too much in either realm is not healthy. The divine feminine and divine masculine 
are these sacred polarities that exist in creation and as a bridge. It's a bridge from the head to the heart, the earth to the sky, the material to the spiritual. And there's room for both here. And in fact, you may find it's a perfect fit. So this all seems lovely and like a productive idea. So what is the problem? Well, we are, but it's not necessarily our fault. So each of us, male, female, or other, comes with some kind of wounding as we're caught in the crossfire of these never-ending cultural or religious wars, leaving us with these painful wounds and in a wake of destruction. When we're hurting or out of balance, we can be a very dangerous species. That's the ego rearing its ugly head and grabbing the mic. We see this in the Barbie movie, the dichotomy of Barbie land and the real world, each dominated by the opposite sex with major problems plaguing both societies. And it's this sort of push-pull undercurrent throughout the movie and what keeps us all stuck, literally and metaphorically. And that's sort of the tricky part and what makes these universal concepts of awakening, enlightening journeys as painful as they are rewarding. It's extremely difficult to heal our own damage in the name of enlightenment, but it's our only way out. So in Barbie land, the Barbies rule. They're the doctors, politicians, astronauts, cowgirls, airline pilots, construction workers, chefs, etc. And Ken was just, well, there, cute, following Barbie around, which admittedly got a little annoying, but he means well enough. She'd just rather hang out with her friends. And can't he go find a wave to surf somewhere? Living in a neon pink world of speedboats and dream houses, the Barbies are told they can do anything and be anything. And this worked just fine for stereotypical Barbie until it didn't. By the way, stereotypical Barbie is played by Margot Robbie, the star of the film. Okay, so we meet Barbie just as she starts her existential crisis and is suddenly and unexpectedly consumed by the idea of death. And at first I was like, is this Scorpio Barbie? (laughs) It's not. Turns out she's actually a Pisces, which makes even more sense. And so is Ken. Barbie was released March 9th, 1959, and Ken was introduced March 11th, 1961. So these dark emotions launch her on her journey through a sort of glitch in the matrix that brings her out of an almost Stepford Wives flawlessly neon existence into the dark depths of her mind and ultimately the real world. Venice Beach, California. The real one, not the Barbie one. So how did she get here? Well, she suspects someone in the real world has been playing with her and transferring their pain onto her. So she goes in search of them to try to get this all sorted out. And Barbie encounters unanticipated roadblocks along the way on her journey through the real world. And she notices that all of these powerful positions are occupied by the Kens. And that seems odd. It's a much scarier and aggressive place, but it's really not all that bad either. This is where we see the juxtaposition of the two worlds. In reality, the excess abundance of the divine masculine energy is rigid, unyielding, violent, and rageful. In Barbie land, the divine feminine is overemphasized and amplified, 
It's a smothering, bossy, micromanaging need to control the outcome of everything. Shout out to healer and artist Edgar Fabian Frias, co-editor of Divine Feminine Consciousness Zine, who tells us, quote, the Divine Feminine can help us tap into, cultivate, and forge new forms of power, and to envision power as something that you cultivate within and not something you hold over others. Luckily, we're locked up with the key. And if we do our inner work to resolve our personal emotional baggage and primordial wounding, we can get out of our self-imposed prisons and work together to create and grow something really cool and beautiful. It's the ego that separates us and spiritualism that connects us to all things. It allows us to meet in the middle and honor one another for the unique energy that we bring to the table. So we've touched on this idea of universal archetypes or stories, how fascinating it is that cultures across the globe that had no contact with one another share very similar, strangely similar mythology around the constellations, the planets, and spirituality, religion in general. Many of these societies at one time were matriarchal, and this could and maybe an entire episode on its own, but in the interest of time, let's stick to Barbie. So every culture seems to have interacted with the earth and the sky in a way that they could try to explain why the F we're here and who's in charge of making all this stuff happen. Is it a benevolent force, a punitive god or goddess? Who knows? Is there a code of ethics we're meant to live by or are we simply here to serve, honor, and obey these omniscient yet confusing forces and hope they respond back to us kindly? I don't know. But as a side note, this is why I absolutely love Greek and Roman mythology and the gods and goddesses' very human follies and over-the-top reactions. We can learn so much about ourselves through these ancient stories and see how we really haven't changed all that much at least in terms of our human nature. So as we know, and we've talked about in earlier episodes, astrology is not a religion. It's a wisdom tradition based on thousands of years of observed planetary patterns. It's our cosmic map drawn by our ancestors who observed the night sky in motion ever since eyesight became a thing. And this guide allows us an opportunity to peel back the thin veil that seems to separate us from the other side. What better way to explain things than through stories, or in ancient times, mythology. That's where the zodiac comes in, into this divine feminine masculine concept. We know our birth chart is our cosmic blueprint that begins the moment we take our first breath. And within that 12 sign zodiac wheel is a perfect balance between masculine and feminine energy. Six star signs or zodiac signs are considered masculine. Six are considered feminine. And this is not at all linked to biology. It's purely spiritual energy. So the idea is that the work we do based on our blueprint acts as a bridge to the parts of our souls that need balance. And that's ultimately what this all seems to be about. The way that we heal ourselves or we build those bridges is often called shadow work, where we come face to face with, well, our shadows. And shadows aren't real. They're our projections and they can be 
a little scary. So the energy of each zodiac sign depends on its element and the properties associated with them. Fire, earth, air, and water. The masculine signs are the fire and air signs. And this is sort of based on the flavor of that element. A healthy masculine sign is present and listens, doesn't judge, creates a safe environment, is disciplined, humble, and has integrity. And as you can imagine, the unhealthy version of these signs are the very opposite. So the masculine signs are Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Sagittarius, and Aquarius. Fire and air. So the feminine signs are earth and water. And a healthy feminine sign is grounded, compassionate, empathetic, authentic, unafraid to speak her truth, is naturally intuitive, creative, and manifests and creates beautiful things. Just like when masculine signs are operating at an unhealthy frequency, the unhealthy feminine represents these polar opposites as well. So the feminine signs are Taurus, Cancer, Virgo, Scorpio, Capricorn, and Pisces. Feminine zodiac signs, again, earth and water, exude a receptive energy. And they're ruled by the ever-changing phases and the moods of the moon. When planets are in feminine signs, that planet's influence is turned inward, just like our moon sign, is a reflection of our inner worlds. Are you sensing a pattern here? I wanna talk a little bit about the tarot since it's such a cool way to see how these universal archetypes or Jungian archetypes not only appear in ourselves, but in our stories as a human race and cross cultures. The idea of the tarot, and one could argue life in general, is that we're all essentially on the fool's journey. And remember, the Fool card is number zero. And if we want, we can use these celestial spiritual modalities as maps to help us navigate this strange world as the Fool. These tools or modalities are available for us to tap into metaphysics or those things that we can't see but we really feel. And it's not magic, but it can and does feel magical at times. Or maybe it is. Who's to say? So as within spirituality, the cards are not gendered, even if they do carry a more masculine or feminine energy based on whether they're a queen or king, empress, emperor, you get the point. We encounter these archetypes and energy throughout our lives, and guess what? So have most people. In this case, in the Barbie movie, I believe we're seeing the archetype of the high priestess. She's my fave. And I'll link to a couple of different illustrations because it's such a cool spiritual and layered card. So the high priestess is the number two tarot card. Following the magician, who's the number one, who follows the fool, zero. The two is symbolic of duality, the relativity of opposites. And for the first time on the fool's journey, number two, we encounter the other. And often the journey to get to the other, aka our hidden selves, is a treacherous one, let alone figuring out how to deal with it once you're there. The high priestess is thrown to the wolves, essentially, out in the wilderness with nothing but her inner moon as a resource to guide her. And you'll sometimes hear this as experiencing the dark night of the soul. It can happen to any gender, any age, any time. It's about soul evolution. 
This passage through the dark, metaphorically, is a lonely one, and it involves hard-won battles and some loss. And it's on these most difficult nights that the high priestess is gifted with the power of intuition, which brings her closer to her destination. So no one is there to guide her as she navigates these deep and dark trenches by way of lunar intuition and without the tools of the magician. The high priestess essentially needs to feel her way through the shadows and traverse the depths of the underworld, representing her soul, and tap into her instincts and get herself into the light. In the Cosmic Tarot, which is one of my favorite decks, unsurprisingly, she's depicted with a yin-yang symbol as her third eye, looking like she has a secret, and she wears a thin crest moon as a sort of necklace. And in the corner, we see just a few rays of sunshine peeking in and illuminating these tiny jewels and pearls scattered throughout. So the high priestess sits in a blue robe in front of a curtain, representing that veil that separates us from the spiritual realm. And she sits between two pillars, one black, one white, representing yin and yang, the light and dark, these dual forces that created the universe and exist within all of us. In the Rider Waite, Pamela Coleman Smith deck, the quote J and B, you'll see them on each of the pillars, stand for Yahin and Boaz. Those are representative of the pillars from the Temple of Solomon, which is the first temple in Jerusalem. So we're tapping into a couple different religious histories here. We see pomegranates, which link us back to these primordial goddesses and the myth of Persephone, Hades, and the underworld. And this represents death, life, the rebirth cycle, and was central to the Eleusinian mysteries, which are so freaking cool. It was a mysterious and incredibly secret ritual held in ancient Greece honoring Demeter and Persephone as this feminine source and symbolic of the continuity of life. In order for our hero, Barbie in this case, to quote, spiritually awaken, she, we must learn to read the book of wisdom. And it's the wisdom of our souls and our ancestral memories. And it's represented by the scroll on the high priestess's lap in the card with the visible letters T. O-R-A on it. And this can represent the spiritual wisdom that the high priestess is studying and following, and it's partially covered to symbolize that the mysteries can only be revealed to those initiated. We see a crescent moon at her feet, not typically where one thinks of the moon, and she inspires dreams and visions which reveal the inner workings of the psyche, anima in this case. This can come out in music, art, writing, any vessel through which you welcome her. And she's the bridge between the worlds, the physical and the spiritual, the conscious and subconscious mind. So our intuition and our creative inspiration can only work in harmony with us once we step onto and make our way across this beautiful bridge. Shout out to Erica Gabriel, a modern mystic who tells us, and I'm paraphrasing here, quote, since we are all loaded and coded at birth with the divine feminine and divine masculine, we have the ability to tap into both. 
We are all intuitive, strong, receptive, forceful, gentle, and incredible spiritual beings having a human experience. So this is what I loved about the movie and how it's a reflection of a wounded but a healing society. Barbie inventor Ruth Handler explains that Barbie's journey has no set ending and her ever-evolving history surpasses that of her roots. Oh my, what an enchanting prospect. I hope this was as interesting to you as it is to me. If you want to learn more about the tarot, I'm totally down to do more episodes about it. There's so much to tap into. I'll link different articles and music in the show notes that touch on these themes of the divine feminine, the divine masculine. It's no surprise that the high priestess is a muse for many, waking the magic within. Please reach out with any questions or comments and please subscribe or leave a review if you want to. It helps the show grow and reach those who may be into this stuff. And I really appreciate it. So until next time, thanks for listening.